Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. All right, praise the Lord. Okay, so let's move on. Um, Revelation 14. Verse 1 and 2, but in particular verse 1. Though we're moving to verse 2 now. But let's look at verse 1 again. And the Bible has said, Then I saw the Lamb standing on my Zion and with him were 144,000 who have his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Uh, precisely this is the part we're dealing with now the issue of writing the name on the forehead and we dealt with that extensively last week and uh, I tried to explain that a name is not necessarily what you pronounce because you see um, for instance we looked at 1 Samuel 25 the case of David and uh, Abigail and Nadab. You remember the story? Right. The servant that went to meet Nadab for the provision said, we came in the name of David. So it is not the word David that they came with, but the authority of David. They were servants of David, so they came in the authority of David. So when you go in a person's name, you are going in his authority. That's just what it stands for. Amen? All right. So, that's why I keep saying, it's not about the names you pronounce in terms of Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Mekadiski, whatever, whatever. You know, here we didn't see so many names written, it's just a name, that's just one name. So, it is not the things we pronounce. So, let's move on here. I said, uh, John chapter 5, verse 43. John 5, verse 43. Jesus said, I am coming in my father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. I come in my father's name. So like I asked the other time, what was the name that he came with? What was the name of God that he came with? Amen? All right. So here we can say that Jesus was speaking prophetically, you know, in fulfillment of promises that were already made to the children of Israel. Uh, let's look at something in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15 to 19. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him shall he hearken. The next verse says, According to all that thou desirest of the Lord, thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore, that I die not. And the next verse, And the Lord said unto me, 
they have well spoken that which they have spoken. Was in Esbas. I will raise them up a prophet from among their children. I mean, their brethren, like unto thee, Moses now. And I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. I want you to know that verse. The next thing. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Did you get the picture? Right. So here he told the children of Israel, by the time they said, we don't want you to talk to us, let Moses talk to us. And now God said, I'm going to raise up a prophet like unto you, unto them. And he's going to speak my words in my name. So Jesus was not saying, I've come in the Father's name, like he promised you, Amantoreb. And how is he going to represent God now by what he will say? It's just like the servant of David go to Nadab and say, we came in the name of David. You understand that? <coughs> the words they were speaking. So here again we find out Jesus said, the words that I'm speaking is like saying they are not my words, but the words of the Father that sent me. So I came in the Father's name. By implication, I'm speaking in the authority of the Father. Praise the Lord. So that's exactly what we find in John 5 and 43. Because Moses was sent to the valley children of Israel, remember that. He came with under the authority of the Father. He spoke only what the Father gave to him to say. Praise the Lord. Now, if, if, if this is the thing, by implication, you see, what we just read it simply means that Jesus was like an ambassador of God. You know, an ambassador is a man that represents a country in another country. Amen? And everything the ambassador says is what his nation or his mother home says. He represents, he can't speak words of his own or else will be withdrawn. So Jesus said, I'm speaking the things that God is asking me to say. Amen? But now, he's saying them in his name. Now, I want you to capture this because the point now is, if the name is written on your forehead, that means you come into the point where you say what he says because you're carrying his personality, his image. You understand that? Okay. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. And he said, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and are committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did be settled by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be a what? 
reconciled. You know what I was trying to make us understand if we've been ambassadors of Christ or God? That means we speak what God speaks. We say what Christ says. We are God's representative. In other words, we speak in his name. So one of the things why our words only carry authority is because we don't stand to represent God as ambassadors. Jesus will say that, like I said before. The words that I speak, they are not mine, but that which the Father gave unto me. You understand that? So as Christians who are ambassadors of God, we ought to speak only what God is giving to us to speak. That is where power comes in. That's where weight comes in. That's where authority comes in. Because it's not you, it's him. Praise the Lord. And that's why he says he honors his word more than his name. The word he gives to you to speak, it's not about calling on the name Jesus, Jesus. That is not it. But the word he gives to you to speak is more important for him than you pronouncing the name Jesus. The authority is you knowing that you are a representative. And every believer ought to have this consciousness. That it's not just about you, neither are you just speaking things by yourself, but rather you are a representative. You are an ambassador to someone. You came and you're speaking in somebody's stead. And so the authority with which you speak is not yours, but him who sent you. Praise the Lord. So if we truly understand this simple underst I mean, uh, picture we're seeing here, our words will carry more weight. Our prayers will carry more weight. Praise the Lord. See, don't forget what we said in Deuteronomy. He said, I'm going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses, unto you from among them, and I, he will speak in my name. And Jesus came, John 5, 43, said, I came in the Father's name. Fulfilling that promise he made in Deuteronomy. So he wasn't speaking of himself. He was speaking of what the Father gave to him to speak to the children of Israel. Therefore, his words carried weight because he was not himself. He was representing God. <coughs> Hallelujah. He was representing God. Praise the Lord. All right. So, we see what that means. So, in addition to the name of a person being his authority, we also discover that the name of a person equally means his character or nature. And this is very important. Right? Praise the Lord. So, if we take the statement of Jesus for his sons in relation to the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 14, verse 26. And I would like this uh, to read from a very simple translation. I will know. Let's take uh, what translation we're going to use now. Okay. First of all, let's look at John chapter 14, 26. John 14, 26. But a comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, you watch this. He came in the name of the Father. He spoke in the name of the Father. Now, he's given a promise. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, is going to reveal things about me. In other words, 
the authority of the Holy Spirit is also that of Christ. Praise the Lord. But the comforter which the Holy Ghost, which is the Holy Ghost now, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So again, we look at that. What is the name of Jesus? So we are actually saying that the Holy Spirit acts on the authority of who? Of Jesus. Just like Jesus was acting on the authority of who? Of the Father. Amen? Now the Holy Ghost is in us. So in acting on the authority of Jesus, it simply means it's going to flow through us. Praise the Lord. Now, primarily the name of Jesus is Matthew chapter 1 verse, I mean verse 21. You can look at that from the Amplified Translation. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, Amplified Translation, if you can get that. And it's very important. Praise the Lord. Can you get Matthew chapter 1? All right, verse 21, Amplify. Okay. Now, this is when Joseph was about to put out Mary, and the angel came and spoke, and he said, She will bear a son, and shall call his name Jesus. The Greek form from the Hebrew, Joshua, which means Savior. For he, look at the meaning of the name, he will save his people from their sins. That is, prevent them from failing and missing the true and scope of life which is God so the meaning of the word Jesus is that it prevents you from missing the scope of life which is God hallelujah so the meaning here is not just the word Jesus when he say come in my name I don't know if you are getting that so it's not the word. It's not what you pronounce Jesus. That is not it. Because the word Jesus speaks of something which has to do with saving you and preventing you from missing your ultimate goal, which is God. Praise the Lord. He shall save his people from their sin. Therefore, his name speaks of his nature. Shall speak of his character, his attitude, and what he does. Therefore, in comparing the works of the Comforter with that of his himself, when he came, he made it clear to us in John 16. Let's look at it from the Living Bible, or if you have a similar translation, maybe NLT. Let's look at it 18 to 13. NLT, John 16. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The book of John, chapter 16, and we're looking at 8 to 13. <clears throat> I want you to get this right. He said the Holy Spirit is coming to do something. And like I said, the name Jesus is not just what you pronounce it carries some attributes which has to do with preventing you from missing not just forgiving your sin not just saving you it goes further to make sure you don't miss the target which is the scope of life and that is God that's the word Jesus is that okay 
So the word Jesus has some attribute. It carries some characteristics that goes with it. Praise God. So here we talk about Jesus himself is saying, the Holy Spirit will come in his name. Remember he said God will send the Spirit in my name. Now look at what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing here. And so, verse number 8. And when he come, he will convict the world of his sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. Verse number 9. The world's sin is that you refuse to believe in me. I want you to see a simple definition. What the Holy Ghost will make the world see. Jesus is saying, I came and people won't believe in me. Now, don't forget, the Holy Spirit is coming in his name. So there are some attributes of the Holy Spirit that he needs to put forth, and this is what he's trying to describe. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he convicts the unbeliever, the man of the world, of sin. By implication, he makes them to know that they need Jesus. Is that okay? Right. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay. The next thing he says, of righteousness available because I go to the Father and you see me no more. In other words, he convinced the second group of people of the believers. In verse number nine, is for the unbelievers, the man in the street, who refused to believe Jesus. But having believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit reminds you, now go back a bit. Okay, number nine, yeah, they refused to believe in me. Is that okay? Right. But because they refused to believe in him, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings the conviction. That is to say, going by this scripture, the Holy Spirit does not convict you of sin because that he has already done and you have already accepted Jesus. You follow that. So what does he do? He convicts you of what? Righteousness. To the man in the street, he convicts you of sin. To the man in the household of faith, he convicts you of righteousness. He shows you how righteous you are. Do you understand what I'm saying? Good. Don't forget, the Holy Spirit is now walking in the name of Jesus. So, it's re releasing some attributes. Okay. And this is very important. Now, watch this. Righteousness is available because, so, the Holy Spirit makes you to understand that righteousness is what? It's available. All right. Say, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. And this is a very strong statement that I always say. Jesus himself said, you're not going to see me anymore. Why did he say that? Because the Holy Spirit represents him. So you truly do not have to be looking for a physical Jesus. No. The Holy Spirit is the one who has come in his name. Jesus came in the name of the Father. You wanted to see the Father, you see Jesus. Now if you want to see Jesus, you see the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I'm following this. This is so simple. I mean, he said it by himself. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. It's a clear statement. Not ambiguous. Praise God. So we find that Jesus revealed the invisible God. Now the Holy Spirit is revealing the invisible Christ. Did you get that? Jesus came in the name of the Father. The Holy Spirit is now coming in the name of Jesus. So simple. Okay, what's the next thing he said? Verse 11. And he said, Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So, we're talking about dealing with 
the spirit of uh, you want to call that devil or all the case may be, you know. Praise the Lord. So you can see here that the Holy Spirit is completely in the name or the nature of Jesus Christ. Name is a nature. Name is a characteristics of the individual that bore their name. So when Jesus' name is representing forgiveness of sin and preventing you from failing to achieve into the scope of life, which is God, that is the word Jesus. The Holy Spirit, which is now in the name of Jesus, convict the man in the street about sin, convict you in the house of God about righteousness, and the world is judged. In other words, the power of the enemy is being reduced. So now you find that to be the characteristic of what? Of the Holy Spirit. And this is why you can pray, cast out devil. That is part of the judgment upon Satan, or as the case may be, whatever you are talking about, the prince of the world. You have authority, you have the right in his nature, in his character, to deal with the devil. That is the part 11 that he's showing us there. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. Now let's look at something. The nature of God. Exodus 33 verse 19. <coughs> Sorry. 33 verse 19. This is why Moses reminded you know, for God's presence and his glory. And the word said, and he said, that he God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. Verse 19. Is that okay? No, no. Go to King James. Go, just go to King James. 33, 19 King James. Praise the Lord. You see? I will make all my goodness pass before thee. Mother was saying, you got to come with me. If you don't come with me, I won't go. He said, I'll say, show me your glory. That's exactly what Moses demanded. Is that okay? And he said, I will, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Follow that. Before thee. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. Remember, he asked for his name. He asked for his glory. He said, this is what I'm going to show you. I'm, I'm trying to say, what is the name of God? Moses wanted to know who God is. What the name of God is. I'm going to show you my name. Right there. Okay. Go to chapter 34. Let's look at 5 and 7. 5 to 7. Praise the Lord. Are you there? Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. I need you to see this because it's very important. So we read from Exodus 34, 5 to 7. And the Lord descended in the cloud. Remember the discussion from verse 33. When Moses asked, God said, I will show you. So now he wants to show him his name. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. What's the name of the Lord? And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Verse 7. 
keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Did you get that? All of these things we've just read means the name of the Lord. That's why I say it. You, you can't be saying Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah this, Jehovah that, and that is the name of the Lord. No, 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 no. He told Moses what his name really is. So name is a character. That's what I'm trying to say. Why am I going to all of these things? Because if you receive the name of the Lord, that means you receive the character of the Lord. Is it making sense to you? Praise God. All right. So we can see that the name of the Lord is about, it's all about, uh, I mean, his character, his nature, it's completely the nature and the character of God. That's the main thing you need to get there. Praise the living God. So now, going back to what we're dealing with, the name is written upon our forehead. What is that supposed to mean? It means we receive the nature and the character of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So the name speaks of nature, speaks of character, and that's the main thing. Now, look at Ephesians 2 verse 10. What do you see there? The name is just written as to become his workmanship. The name is being written by the Holy Spirit as to become his workmanship. In other words, is carving his nature in us to carry his personality wherever we go. So here he said, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before then that we should walk in them. He's creating a new people with his character, just like he promised Moses, I'm going to raise somebody from among them like unto you. What we speak on my behalf. In other words, my words will be in his mouth and we speak in my name. So now, in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, we are being created as workmanship to carry the name, the character, and the personality of God through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You see, I'm, I'm doing something recently. Just part two anyway on Facebook. What we don't truly understand is that the Bible is not, you look at the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible is not Revelation 22. That is not the last book, the last chapter of the Bible. Because Revelation 22, in fact, the whole of the book of Revelation gives you the prophecy, the activities of Jesus. Of course, in terms of redemption. But the fulfillment of the mind of God is 1 Corinthians 15. So the last chapter of the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15. I know that's difficult for people to swallow. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know if you're getting that. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, that's where you see Christ ruling and reigning and bringing all enemies under feet. You don't find that in Revelation. And all enemies coming under feet, it's not just his feet, it's the head, where his body. 
So we're talking of enemies coming under the feet of the church. Only in 1 Corinthians 15 can you find the whole of that exposition. You don't find that in Revelation 22. You don't find it in Revelation 21. So the last chapter of the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe you're hearing that for the first time. But that's the truth. As touching the work of redemption, as touching what God intends to do, as touching his ultimate program for mankind, 1 Corinthians 15 is where you're going to find that. You didn't see this. So, the workmanship of God being created in Christ, he is the head, where his body, in other words, his character has been worked in us. That will become God personified on the face of the earth. It's a result of this walking in Jesus that he told Philip, who wanted to know God. Remember, he said, she was the father. Let's look at that. John 14, 8 to 12. Philip came and said, she was the father. Hallelujah. John 14, 8 to 12. Philip said unto him, Lord, she was the father. And he sufficed us. Look at the next thing. Jesus said unto him, have I been so long with, thee, with you? And yet you have not yet known me, Philip. He that have seen me have seen the Father. And I said, Thou then show us the Father. Verse 10. Believe it, thou know that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe me for the very work's sake. Hallelujah. You see that? It's telling Philip, you don't need to look for somebody else called God. There is no way you're going to look for God and see God. If you want to see God, look at me. So, you see, what? He came in the name of the Father. He came in the character, the nature, the attribute. So, if you want to find how much love God is, where do you find that? In Christ. Praise the living God. If you don't want to believe me, don't believe the works that I'm doing. For it is not me, it is the Father who is resident in me that is doing the work and saying the thing that I'm saying. This is why we must truly become one with God. Praise God. All right. So, what do you think here that Jesus is saying? Simply saying that all you need to know and to see about the Father who is spirit. Remember, God is spirit. John 4, 24. And now made manifest by my person. If you look at me, you can see the invisible God. For no one has ever seen God actually, physically, but the Son himself had declared him. Let's look at John 1, 18, Amplified Translation. John 1, 18, Amplified. Praise God. Amen. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten God <laughs> I like that. Who is in the bosom in the very intimate presence of the Father. He has declared him. He has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him 
and he has made him known. Did you get that? He has interpreted him. He has made him known. The invisible God. Nobody has seen God at any time. So, what Jesus is saying here is, you want to see God? Hey, look at me. This is God standing before you. How is that supposed to be? I have the attributes of God. I have the character of God. I came in his name. Are you getting the meaning? Okay. Praise the living God. I came in his name. So then, we are talking of a people who will make God known to the rest of creation. As they are transformed and conformed to his image and likeness, which are the divine attribute of the invisible God. Let's look at something in Psalm 91 verse 14. Psalm 91 verse 14, King James. Hallelujah. First of all, you look at verse 1. Psalm 91 verse number 1. What do you find there? He that dwelleth in the sacred place of the Most High. Isn't it? All right? Shall abound out the shadow of the Almighty. Go to verse 14. Just go to verse 14. Because, okay, go to verse uh, 13. Let's take it there so that I can get it. Thou shalt tread upon lions and either the young lion and the dragon shall that trample on the feet. Verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because what? He has known my name. By implication, you knowing the name, becoming one with him, you have authority to trade upon serpents and scorpions and others. Get the connection. Go back again to verse 13. So that you can see what I mean. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. The young lion and the dragon shall that trample on their feet. Why? Because in verse 14, you've known his name. Are you getting that? What is his name? His character, his nature, his attributes. So when you begin to walk in the character and the nature of God, you have authority over serpents and scorpions. Praise God. Can you get it? That's what he's saying. <laughs> Hallelujah. So why is that? Because he has known my name. Amen. So do we really know the name of God? Think about that. That should be your take home. Your takeaway. Do we know the name of God? What is God's name? We begin to look at the characteristics of God. If you want to find the name of God, look at the characteristics of God. The nature of love that he exhibits. The nature of forgiveness that he exhibits. Praise God. What's the nature of God? That's the name of God. <laughs> and he said, once you begin to operate, to know, remember to know means to have fellowship, want to have a relationship. Okay, I'll show you something. We'll come back here. But go with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse number 1. What it means to know. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. What I want you to see there is, Adam knew his wife. So to know doesn't mean 
Uh, okay, I know Mike. You understand that? Praise God. I want, I'm trying to make you see something. To have understanding of what it means to know. Is that okay? To know means to have an intercourse. It means to have a relationship. It means to be joined to the one that you know his name. Adam knew Eve. You can see the same picture Jesus painted in Matthew chapter, I think chapter 7 or so. When he said on that day, men shall come and say, Lord, Lord, we've done signs and wonder in a name and so on and so forth and say, go away from me, ye that walk in nudity, for I knew you not. You remember that? Meaning, I have no relationship with you. No communion with you in terms like a husband and a wife, I don't have it with you. No, First Corinthians 6, 17 tells us something very precise. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. The word joined matter means weathered together. It has come to join to the Lord. Have become one with God. It's one spirit. So when we say, hey, look at that again. That Genesis 3, I mean Genesis 4. Adam knew his wife, Eve, and that he brought forth a son. So now when you go to Psalm 91 verse 14 now, what do you see now there? 13, you're going to tread upon the lions, the elders, the serpent, whatever the case may be. Why? Because verse 14 says, he knew my name. What is that supposed to mean? You are one with the nature, the character, the attribute of who? Of God. And that gives you authority. Over every power, over every spirit, over every demon, that gives you the authority that you're supposed to carry. So when the name is being written on your forehead, you've been given the nature, the characteristic of who? Of God. And once that is done, you have authority over any power, whatever name that you be. You have it. Praise God. Are we here? So as we begin to receive the new nature of God in place of the old dynamic life and character, there will be a lifting up into a higher dimension of the spirit. From which position it will not be possible for us to rule over creation. Praise the living. Which had been our mandate from the beginning. So you go back again to Genesis 1, 26-27. Hallelujah. Genesis 1, 26-27. This is what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he male and female. Created him them. 26, I said. Let's go back to 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Are you getting that? Okay. What's the next thing? And say, verse 27 now. And so God created man in his own image and likeness. Get it right. Amen? Image of God created here. Male and female created in them. What does it mean to be in the image and likeness of God? I'm talking about the characteristics of the nature of God. Go with me to Hebrews chapter, chapter 1. Amplified translation. Let's look at verse 1 and 2, possibly. Hebrews chapter 1, amplified. Praise the Lord. In many separate... Revelations, each of which set forth a portion 
of the truth and in different ways God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. Verse 2. But in the, what is it? The last of these days, he has spoken to us in the person of his son, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by and through whom he created the walls, riches of space, and the ages of time. He made, produced, built, operate, and arranged them in order. Verse 3. He is, follow this, the sole expression of the glory of God, the light beam, the outrain or radiation of the divine, and he, the very perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature. I need you to stop there. Get together. The very imprint and image of what? God's nature. In other words, Jesus, remember what Jesus said in John 14. I came in my father's name. By implication, I came at the characteristic, the nature, the attribute of who? Of the invisible God. And so God is telling us that when you start putting on, so if you go, when God now starts speaking to us from that Genesis 1, 27, when he says, let's make mine an image, this is exactly what he's talking about. Let's bring out people that can embody my nature, my characteristic, representing me as my perfect imprint upon the face of the earth. That's what he's talking about. So when we say, let's make mine an image and after likeness, God have not forsaken that agenda. It's still there. It's still ongoing. That is why in Ephesians 2.10 that we read before, it said, we are the workmanship created in Christ. Workmanship of God created in Christ. You understand that? Praise the living God. Are you following me? Yeah. So this is the key thing. To write his name on your forehead, God remolding you, reshaping you, impressing his nature in you, that you might become his reflection on the face of the earth. And once you begin to carry the nature of God, you have authority over all powers, over all spirit, over all dominion. Whatever thing is supposed to mean. This is the real thing. And I keep saying, God has not forgotten this agenda. The agenda of God is in Genesis 1, 26, 27. God has not abandoned it. You know, when people start teaching about the devil coming and spoiling something, having problem with Genesis chapter 1, you know, and 2, there were different walls and all of that. Hey, come on, you're wasting time. How do you imagine a devil disrupting the programs of God? How do you imagine that? What kind of God is that? If a devil could destroy the program of God, that God is not worthy of worship. After the devil was a creature, he saw. And like I used to ask people, you know, you teach people, oh, the devil disrupted the creation of God. He was trying to usurp the authority of God. He was trying to dethrone God, and God threw him down. What kind of story is that? I want to believe that, even as a minister. A creature wrestling with God. Okay, think about it this way. All right, let's even agree it was so. How will you want to worship such a God? Who threw down the devil that he cannot wrestle with to go and meet his children who do not have as much power as himself? Does it make sense? And then you still believe 
the same devil is going to lead you to hell and then he'll be supervising you in hell. What kind of God is that? You can't fight the devil in heaven. You threw him down to mortal man who does not have as much power as you. Now, the devil has confused the same people, take them to hell, and you allow him to go and be supervising them in hell forever and forever and burning and burning and burning. Religion. I can't worship such God. That is not my God. There was no devil anywhere that disrupted the plans of God. Remember, Revelation 13, the Bible tells us precisely Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. So before creation came into confusion, God already made provision because he knew it was going to happen. So we are going back to Genesis 1, 26, 27. That's a perfect image of God that he has in mind for mankind. And that is why 1 Corinthians 15 is telling us he's bringing all enemies where? Under feet. And that includes the devil. Even death will be brought under feet. Praise God. Somebody will ask me, I said, Pastor David, when do you think is, this is going to be accomplished? Because you see, people are still dying. And I say, how long do you think it took death to come to the level that we are? Because even after, after sinning, how many years did he live? You see that? How many years did Cain live? You see, Methuselah, all of them were counting years. But you see, the whole thing was dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. So God is also going to take it gradually from the drop and take it up again to where it's supposed to be. He's not doing it in seconds. No. It took many years for man to get to where it is. That's why in Ephesians 4, he said, He that ascended, he said that fell what descended. Why did he descend? He get down to the depth of death and picked up man and he's taking back man gradually until he gets to the top. So, the question of when is when I don't know. I can't answer that. But I know that's what he wants to do. Praise the living God. Are we still here? All right. Whew. Let's look at this last scripture and then we can finish for tonight. Oh, glory. Are you, are you getting something tonight? All right. Revelation 22. Let's look at something there. <clears throat> Praise God. Uh, let's look at verse 4 to 5. And later I'm going to take it from verse uh, 4 to 5. Revelation 24. <clears throat> Sorry, 22, 4 to 5. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads. You like read from the top. Before you understand this. This is more or less ending all the prophecies as the working of Christ. Is that okay? And there shall be no light there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So, let's take it from the Amplified. <clears throat> and I will read from uh, verse number 3. Amplify verse number 3. Praise the Lord. Revelation 22, verse 3. There shall no longer exist there anything that is accursed, detestable, foul, offensive, impure, hateful, or horrible. Hallelujah. But the throne of God 
and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servant shall worship him, pay divine honors to him, and do him holy service. Verse 4. They shall see his face. Hallelujah. And his name shall be where? On their forehead. They shall see his face. What is his face? His glory. We read that before in Exodus 33. Moses said, show me your glory. So what is his glory? His face. And he said, I'm going to pass by, but I will show you my backside. What was the backside? The Old Testament. What is the front side? The New Testament, which is the face of Jesus. I will show you his face, which is his glory, his presence. And his name shall be in our forehead. Where's the forehead? The mind. And there shall be no night there. Walking in the blindness of our mind, like you find in Ephesians 4, 18 to 19. The Adamic spirit is no longer there. It's been taken away. And they need no candle. What candle? Religious light impart revelations of the holy place. Neither light of the sun. Remember the candle? You have the candlestick and you have the most holy place. Is that okay? Come on, are you with me? Right. Those people who are already coming face to face with God, they have no need of the candle, which is the middle court. They moved on from the outer court to the middle court, from the middle court, they move on to the most holy place, which is Psalm 91. They have no need of the candle. Which you find in the most holy place. I mean the holy place. They move beyond the holy place to the most holy place. I'm talking of those who have the name, the character of who? Of God. Amen? Amen. Neither light of the sun. Where do you find the light of the sun? The outer court. Corresponding to a natural wisdom and human philosophy. They have no need of the candle. They have no need of the sun. Are you there with me? Good. The sun is not, I mean the outer court is not covered. By the, by the curtains or whatever on the tabernacle, you will see the outer court there is open. And then from the outer court, you move into the middle, middle court, which is the holy place, then we have the candlesticks. From the candlesticks, you move on to the most holy place, where the glory of God is. There you don't see any natural thing. But the glory of God fills the whole space in the most holy place. So when we say we see him face to face, we move into the place where we now behold his glory in between the cherubim on top of the ark, in the most holy place. The most holy place, the glory of the Lord is what feeds there. No sun, no candlesticks. Are you there with me? Those who have his name written in their forehead have moved beyond the outer court. They have moved beyond the middle court. They move now to where? To the most holy place. He said he's going to show us his face. We see his glory. We see his presence. Where do you see that? In the most holy place. Hallelujah. So for the Lord, give it them light. You see that? No sun, no candle, but the glory of the Lord. That is a complete revelation of the fullness of the Godhead have been made available to us and in us. Hallelujah. And then he said, we shall reign forever and forever. Praise God. Are we here? So let us conclude this tonight with me. Colossians chapter 2. Let's look at... Uh, <clears throat> 8 to 10. Okay, let's look at 9 to 10. 9 to 10. And we'll stop there for tonight. Hallelujah. For in him dwelleth 
All the fullness of the Godhead. No, go with me to amplify. It breaks it down very importantly. Hallelujah. For in him, the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, what people call Trinity, which is actually tri-unity, because there are not three gods in one head. No, 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 that's Buddhism, that's Buddha. Three gods in one head. No, you don't have that. You have one God that manifests himself in three personalities. For in him, the whole fullness of God, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form. In who? In Christ. Giving complete expression of the divine nature. Get that? Complete expression of the divine nature, which is what we find in Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3. It is the express image and the glory of God. Are you getting that? Okay. What's the next thing? And you, 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 listening to me now, you, the believer, <laughs> you are in him. In who? In Christ. Made full. And having come to what? Fullness of life in Christ. You too are filled with what? The Godhead. What's the Godhead? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And reach full spiritual stature and is the head of all rule and authority of evangelic principality and powers. Hallelujah. You are in him. If he carries the Godhead, you also carry the Godhead. Are you getting that? So now you have his name written on your forehead. Why? Because you carry the fullness of the Godhead. The full characteristics. So when we say they receive the name of the Lord in their forehead, means you are now partaking of the full glory of God as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Father is not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost is not a name. That's why you cannot take out in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost. No, 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 no. Father is not a name. Father means a source. Hey, come on, get this right. Are you there with me? Give me John 8:44. Father means a source. Father, don't, Father is not a name. It's a dimension of life. John chapter 8, verse 44, King James. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Okay. You are of your father, the devil. And the loss of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of faith. But look at the top there, the beginning. You are what? Of your father, the devil. He was speaking to the Jews. Did the Jews give back to, I mean, did the devil give back to the Jews? No. The word father means a source. What he's saying is, your attitude is originated by the devil. That's all. So when you say God the Father, you are talking of the source of life. It's not a name. It's a nature. Praise God. So we're talking about when you come to the dimension, help me Jesus, you come to the dimension of embodying the God the Father, you come into a place where you also become a source of life to other people. You become productive. Are you there with me? 
Praise God. You become productive. Begin to give life to people. You give life to situation. God, the Godhead is resident in your life. Hallelujah. That is what we see, people of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So, we thank God for the effectual working of his power within us. We are having his name written where? In our forehead. We have received the nature, the characteristics of God. We receive the fullness of the Godhead. We receive everything that Jesus embodied is given to the church because he's not the head of the church and we are his body and all enemies shall be brought under feet. For we must rule and reign. How many of you remember what we read in Psalm 8? What is man that you are mindful of him? God cares for man because he said from the very beginning, man must have dominion over everything that he has created. Are you following that? And God is going to achieve that. When? I don't know. Don't ask me of when. I don't work with dates. I don't work with calendar. Because God, I'm not sure, is working to your Roman calendar. So don't ask me when. Praise God. You know, some people tell you the, 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 the eight, nine, six thousand years. How did they start the calculation? No, tell me. How did they start the calculation? When did they start the calculation? Which scripture showed them that the eight, nine, six thousand years? Come on. What is not in scripture is not in scripture. Follow the agenda of God. When he come to the door of Pentecost, they were asking, when will you? Jesus said, no man know it. What time and season God has placed in his power. But you tarry right in Jerusalem until the Holy Ghost has come. The time he didn't give to them. Praise the living God. Are you following me? But all I know, God is at work. There is hope. There is hope. The world might look what it is. Darkness might feel everywhere, but there is hope. For God is at work in his church. He's raising the people. He's filling them with his nature. He's energizing them. And they shall stand on the face of the earth to declare the fullness of God. We are seeing his face face to face. No candlestick, no natural light of the sun. We've moved in from the outer court, from the middle court. We're now the most holy place to behold the glory of the Father. Praise God, somebody. For as God dwelleth to him in his fullness, even so has he given to you to dwell in you in his fullness. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.